Praise the Lord and good singing. Now if you'll turn to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I'm going, to say, I'm going to read the whole psalm, and for those of you who are able, please stand once again for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 116, I, lo- I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of O Jerusalem, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Thus ends the reading of God's authoritative and inspired word. You may be seated. Our Father, lift us up to the place of the psalmist this morning so that from the heart, our thanks for all that you have done for us in your Son, Jesus would splash out into every area of our lives and in all our relationships and in our worship, dear God, of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 116 is a response of thankfulness to God for deliverance out of danger and distress. The psalmist's grateful response moved him to declare God's praise with his lips and to live a more committed life of service unto God. That's the power of a thankful heart. 
And this should remind us all that a growing life of holiness and sanctification must flow out of a grateful heart for what God has done in saving us and in what God is doing to keep us. As we grow in our understanding of God's grace in our lives, the only response that makes sense is the response of gratefulness and thanksgiving. Now, when I was a young man and my hair was rich and full and wavy, well, full anyway, I was deeply impacted, many of you know, I reference this quite often, by a program called Evangelism Explosion by Reformed Presbyterian Dr. James D. Kennedy. And one of the many gems in this material that I learned as a young man was the truth that after being justified before God through faith alone in Christ alone, the rest of our lives as God's children is to be lived out of gratefulness to God for all that he has done for us in saving us through his son. It might be expressed something like this if you were writing a very short letter to God about it. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sin. Sincerely, Kent Harding. P.S. Now, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I am so thankful that you have saved me. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm eternally saved. You have cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. Help me to understand that amazing grace more and more and more because Kent Harding does not fully understand it. But Lord, now that I am saved by faith alone in Christ alone, I do want to live my life for you out of gratefulness. Well, you can easily understand, I think, that the more thankful a believer is, the more committed his life is going to be in service and worship to God. Have you ever seen a child that was never satisfied and or grateful? It's ugly. Have you ever have you ever been in close proximity to that? It's rough. It's 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 like petting a porcupine. We live in an increasingly narcissistic society. And Jesus died on the cross to make an ungrateful people grateful. In Psalm 116, the psalmist is grateful to the God of his salvation. And he's spiritually mature in the sense that he understands that God continues to graciously use various means in the lives of his children to bring them to a greater grateful service unto him until he calls them home. Now that was quite a mouthful. 
I want you to take that in because your pastor thought a lot about that long sentence. He was grateful to the God of his salvation and he was spiritually mature enough to understand that God continues daily, weekly, monthly until he brings us home to use various means in this life to bring us to greater grateful service unto him. Now, allow me to give you the broader Jewish context of this psalm, which is so exciting. Psalm 116 is one of a group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. The Hallel Psalms include Psalms 113 through 118, and it became a tradition very early on among the Jews to sing the Hallel Psalms at every Passover meal, which was once a year. When That's when Israel celebrated the deliverance from Egypt by the blood of the Paschal Lamb applied to their doorposts. The Mishnah, which is a compilation of Jewish writings from the first and second centuries, explains that the Hallel Psalms, 113 through 118, had been sung since ancient times during the Jewish Passover meal every year. The word Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L, although it has a variant spelling, means praise. Hallelujah. Yah is God. Hallel is praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. And so these psalms of praise and thanksgiving that were sung every Passover, 113 through Psalm 118, were interspersed throughout the Passover meal. We're given a picture of this in Matthew 26, verse 30. If you'd like to turn there, you can. You don't have to. We're given a picture when Matthew was writing in chapter 26 in the context of the Last Supper in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. They had all met together for the Passover meal. And as you know, during the Passover meal, Jesus applied the idea of the sacrificed Passover lamb to himself. He changed the Passover liturgy in the Lord's Supper to bring us into the new covenant. And he, as he broke the bread, he said, this is my body. And as he took the cup, he said of the cup, this is my blood of the covenant. So the blood of the Passover lamb painted on the door frames in Egypt looked forward to the last supper in the upper room and ultimately to the cross and substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish Passover foreshadowed the shed blood of Jesus 
who was the final and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And the Hallel Psalms were sung throughout the Passover meal. Now, interestingly, as Matthew recorded the events of the Last Supper, he concluded with these words in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, what hymn was it? Flip through your hymnal and try to decide, well, what hymn was that? Well, almost certainly, the hymn referred to here was one of the Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118, that they had been singing throughout their Passover meal in the upper room. So, this is... This is just deep. It's so personal. It's so, it's so gospel. Just before Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and he and his disciples went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and then into all the events of that morning that led up to Christ's crucifixion, Jesus, just before that, was singing the Hallel Psalms, Psalms of Thanksgiving that were profoundly messianic. Look at me, if you will, at Psalm 116, verse 13 to see how Christ is foreshadowed in this particular psalm that we're looking at this morning. Psalm 116, verse 13, the psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now that, that's Yahweh. That's his covenant God. He's in covenant relationship with because uh, a covenant is God establishing a relationship with his people and guaranteeing that relationship by his word. And so this is a covenant child. This is a child of faith. He's a child of Abraham. And he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Now the Hebrew word used here for salvation is Yeshua. And it is very closely related to the personal pronoun Yeshua, which is the name that was given to Christ at his birth. Remember what the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1 verse 21? He said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, which is translated in the Greek, Jesus, which sounds like the Spanish, Spanish Jesus, and Jesus in the English. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will Yesha, the verb to save his people from their sins. And this salvation would come to this child of God who writes this song of thanksgiving from Yeshua, which means God is salvation. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he shall Yeshua his people 
from their sins. Psalm 116, 13, I will lift up the cup of Yeshua. Different emphasis. I will lift up the cup of salvation that foreshadows Yeshua. And this psalm was sung yearly in the Passover meal. Now, with that Jewish background in mind, I want you to see the psalmist's circumstances that led up to his response of thanksgiving in this psalm. The psalmist, as he writes, is looking back on a time when he was in great distress, and he cried to the Lord. I've never been in great distress. I think we've been together long enough to know that I've been in great distress. And not just a few times, but many times I've been in great distress. Well, what did he do? He called, cried to the Lord, and God answered him and delivered him. The end of verse 3. I was suffering distress and anguish, he says. Well, the definition of anguish is severe mental or physical pain or suffering. Well, we don't know exactly what was causing the psalmist's anguish, and to be honest with you, that's actually helpful to us. I think it's purposely that way because the psalms are written purposely vague so that God's people down through the ages will apply them to their own stressful situations, whatever they are. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to play mind games and say, well, you know, his situation was a lot worse than, you know, all this is relative, And we're supposed to apply these psalms to our own anxiety, our own worry, our own fear, our own sense of being overwhelmed. And that's what we are doing today. There are indications that the psalmist's life was being threatened and that he was absolutely overwhelmed. As a result, verse 3, the snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol, that is the grave, laid hold on me. Verse 10, I am greatly afflicted. I'm afflicted. Oh, don't mince words, Mr. Psalmist. Just come right out and say what it is. Come on. I am afflicted. That's what I am. All men are liars. He had no one that he felt that he could turn to except God. He felt awful. He felt alone. He felt vulnerable. He felt afraid. He was tired. He was all bound up inside with anxiety and overwhelmed. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ... This is not the devil getting getting one up on the psalmist. No, this is God's good providence as he works out his good and gracious purposes in the psalmist's life. In fact, his distress was a grace in his life. Do you believe that about your distresses? When I'm going through distress, I often forget that. 
And then when one of you is so kind to remind me across the table as we eat, it's still hard for me. But it's according to God's good and gracious purposes. How do we know that? Because it brought the psalmist to his knees and he cried out to the Lord. That's what we do when we're overwhelmed, isn't it? We cry out to the Lord. We don't whisper. That's what, that's what God's people do. And that's what God wants us to do. That's where God wants to bring us. Verse 1, he raised his voice to God and pled for mercy. Verse 4, he called on the name of his covenant God, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, I pray, deliver my soul. I'm in a difficult spot. And I cannot even begin to handle this. I'm flattened. I'm weak. Lord, help me. Help me. You created the heavens and the earth. I didn't create the heavens and the earth. I have no refuge but you. And what did God do? He heard his prayer and he answered it. Verse 1. He heard my voice. Verse 2, he inclined his ear to me. God, the living God, inclined his ear to me. Imagine being near a loved one who is very weak and ill and is trying to say something to you, but he's so weak that you can't even begin to hear him. What do you do? You move closer. You lean way down, don't you? And you turn your ear so as to try with all your heart to, and, and strength and might to hear what your loved one is saying. Well, God doesn't have that problem like we do. But in a picture, that's the, the, what the psalmist says God does when we cry out to him in our distress. He bends down. And he inclines his ear toward us in our distress and weakness. He moves close to the frightened. He he moves close to the worried ones. He moves close to those who are tired and who are overwhelmed. And and who, well, that is not that often you. One of the things I think we should try to do here at SGRC is be honest. That's often me. And he hears our prayers. And he answers it. He answers our prayers. He doesn't always answer exactly like we think he should. Praise God. Though he does sometimes answer it as we've prayed when it's in accordance with his will. He always answers his children, however, and provides exactly what they need for their spiritual benefit and for his glory. And the mature believer understands this important biblical principle that just communing with God in prayer powerfully changes his heart and life. 
We've got to get that etched into our minds and in our hearts. Just communing with God on a regular basis changes the believer's heart and life. You can't come into the presence of the living God without being changed. So we could ask the question, does prayer change things? Yes, it changes us. God uses it as a grace in our lives. Now, in the psalmist's case, he was able to say, verse 6, he saved me when I was brought low. Verse 7, God brought me to a place of rest. Oh, don't you love that, that idea of rest? And isn't that, isn't that a grace from God to give us the Lord's day for us to trust him? Verse eight. He de- verse seven. He dealt bountifully with me. Has has not God in Christ dealt bountifully with us? Is He not doing that today? He is indeed. Verse eight. He delivered my soul from death, my tear, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. God was working out His salvific purposes in the psalmist's life. And he graciously does the same for us every day of our Christian lives until he calls us home. He takes us through deep waters so that our lives might better reflect the cleansing water of regeneration signified in our baptisms. Those were the wonderful circumstances that led up to the psalmist's joyful response and expression of thanks to God. Well, the climax of the psalm is is found in verse 12, where the question is asked, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Well, that's a good question. And is that your question this morning? Are you saying to the Lord in response to all he's done for you in Christ, are you asking this question, Lord, P.S., P.S., P.S. What shall I render to you for all of your benefits to me? That should be our question. Well, the answer in short is this. We can never even come close to giving back to the Lord what he deserves from us. Verse 7, he has dealt infinitely bountifully with us. Verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for that? Well, let's follow closely the psalmist's joyful response of thanksgiving. First, he responds with thanksgiving with his lips. He knows that he has great reason to be thankful for what God has graciously done for him, and he will not be silent about it. God loves this. He wants us to respond with our lips. If our hearts are grateful, he wants us to respond with words. Have some of you forgotten the gospel? And the eternal blessings that are for you and your children? They won't be any less on your way home, you know. Or when you go to school tomorrow, or when you drive miles and miles to the doctor, 
when you're attending to your children or the, the duties that you have at home or at work, they're, they're ours. Have you forgotten about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the blessings that are yours? Listen to the psalmist expression of thanks. Verse 1, I love you, Lord. I love you. And this is more than an emotion. Love is a covenantal commitment. That's what we teach for our young married couples who are planning to get married. That love is more than an emotion. It's a commitment. And scripturally, it's a covenantal commitment in response to God's goodness to us. Verse 2, the psalmist says, I will call on the name of the Lord as long as he lives. See, he's looking back on all this. But no matter what comes, come what may, this is what my heart has determined to do. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord as long as he lives. The same thought is in verse 13 and 17. Verse 5, with his lips, he praises the character of God. He declares him to be gracious, righteous, and merciful. Now, apply this to yourself. Gracious. He declares him to be gracious because the Lord did not give him what he deserved. Hell. Or he gave him heaven. He he gave him what he didn't deserve. Excuse me. He gave him eternal life through Jesus Christ. Merciful. He did not give him what he did deserve. Hell. And he is righteous. He's able to save. He's faithful to save. He has covenanted to save. He has promised to save. And he saves. Verse 6, with his lips, he declares that the Lord preserves the simple. He preserves the simple. The gap between us and an infinite God cannot even be fathomed. When God speaks to us in his word, he speaks baby talk. He's leaning down. He's bending toward us. And he preserves the simple. And the simple are those who know that they can't handle it themselves. Lord Jesus, I'm going to trust in you and in you alone. Oh God, you are the God of my salvation. I can't, but you can. I didn't, but you have. Praise God. I'm so thankful for that. The psalmist says, verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 15, he declares with his mouth that the death of his saints are precious in the sight of the Lord. He's saying, and he's, he, he can't really believe some of this stuff, I, I think. He's saying that by God's grace and mercy, he's valuable to the Lord now. And absolutely, this, this just blows him away. And his final response of thanksgiving with the lips in verse 19, at the end of the psalm, he says, praise the Lord. Now the Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118, exalt God at the beginning, at the end, and they're consistent like that. And so he says, I love you, Lord, in verse 1. He says, praise the Lord, to conclude his psalm. A grateful heart response of thanksgiving with the lips. Well, you'll recall that last week 
We looked at Romans chapter 10 where Paul said, For with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But it didn't stop with the lips. He also had a response of thanksgiving with his life. Because the Lord was so gracious to him in answering his prayer, the psalmist, listen to this, committed himself to living a life of new obedience and service unto God. I don't think that this is normally the way Christians think today. And I think it's because we've all been impacted, A, by our sinful nature, and B, by the health, wealth, and prosperity uh, movement that uh, is so prevalent today. The health, wealth, and prosperity movement teaches that we deserve to be blessed by God. Just simply because we're his creatures, God wants to bless us uh, for our sakes alone. And we're impacted by that. And so when God answers our prayer, we're not thinking, well, what can I render to the Lord, to you, Lord, for what you have done for me? Yet, that is so biblical. You will never, never, ever, and if you do ever hear this from a health, wealth, and prosperity uh, proponent, let me know. You will never hear from a health, wealth, and prosperity proponent The words the psalmist speaks here today. Verse 8. Because you delivered me. Because you heard my voice. Because you heard my pleas. Because you inclined your ear toward me and answered my prayer. Verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That's what I'm going to do. Because I want to say thank you. With my words and with my life. And there's no greater benefit given to you or to me, to your session, than the benefit of amazing grace. How sweet does that sound? That saved a wretch like me. No, I was blind. But now I see. Amazing. That's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I don't think, I, I know I've been impacted by this. And my old nature wants to be ungrateful. That's what it wants to be. I want more. Now that I've got this, okay, good, I feel good. Uh, and, and let's go on to, to, to the next prayer. No, no. Lord, the Lord has not just answered our, our prayers or heard our prayers solely for our blessing, so that out of, but so that out of gratefulness, we will bless and serve him more. It's not about us. It's about God. You see, we are not the ultimate end of answered prayer. God is. And it is so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You'll never hear health, wealth, and prosperity proponents say anything even remotely close to that. All of God's blessings in our life 
should move us to greater dedication. Verse 14, the psalmist says, I will pay my vows to Jehovah in the presence of his people. Verses 18 and 19 say, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, Jerusalem is upon us here. What the psalmist has promised to God, he will perform. He will strive to perform out of gratefulness and independence upon God. And he will do it publicly, not just as an individual. He will give thanks and he will impact the whole church. He will, your thanks impacts your pastors. Doesn't it, Paul? It impacts your pastors. It impacts us. Well, we've made vows too, haven't we? we we've made vows in marriage. We've made vows of membership before the Lord and before this church body in deep commitment. And it's only out of a heart of thankfulness that we, we can begin to uh, fulfill those vows in the presence of God's people. Verse 13, I will lift up the cup of Yeshua, the cup of salvation. So the psalmist in thankfulness looks to what God has brought him through and delivered him from and realized that God has saved him and will continue to save him until his salvation is fully realized. And that's true with us as well. One last sense, I think, for that verse, I will lift up the cup of salvation. These inspired words look forward to another cup. They look forward to the bitter cup of God's holy wrath that Jesus was struggling with in the Garden of Gethsemane that he would soon, on the cross, have to drink the full dregs of that cup of God's holy wrath on the cross. That's why we say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. He descended into hell right there on the cross. As his heavenly father turned his face from him. So these words, I will lift up the cup of salvation, look forward to this other cup that Yeshua, Yeshua drank the full dregs of. And that's what makes us most, thank, most thankful for as Christians, that Jesus secured our salvation. We didn't do it. We can't do it. And he did it at the cross of Calvary. Can you just picture Jesus singing these psalms in the upper room the night before he's crucified? It's amazing. How grateful are we? You know, if we were perfectly grateful, we would be perfectly holy. Jesus lived a thankful life unto God every second of the day in order to cover us with his righteousness. And he died for our ungratefulness to make us a grateful people. Well, just real quick, your response of thanksgiving to God should be expressed in your worship here at SGRC with, with the body of Jesus Christ. We should be able to see it. 
Think of all the gospel means to you when, when you worship God. Your voice will get louder. A, a, a pleasing countenance of joy will come over your face. You'll understand that everybody here is no different than you and that God's grace is truly sufficient to save. And that's why it will splash out your your thankfulness will splash out in your worship. Secondly, it should splash out on the people of God as we have meals and we have opportunity to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another. It, It should splash out in Sunday school. You know, I've heard... I've asked for prayer requests in Sunday school, and all of a sudden somebody will say, I just want to say thank you, Lord. In the presence of God's people, that's just a wonderful place to do it. And your thankfulness of heart should be expressed at home and in the workplace as to how you raise your family and conduct your business. And it should be expressed to your children. You know, just learning the catechism isn't enough. For them to understand the summary of the gospel, they need to feel and sense along the way that their parents are thankful for the salvation that God has given to them. Now, saying you're sorry is a wonderful way of saying, I truly am thankful. I forget it sometimes, kids, but wow, look what God has done for me. Let's pray. Our Father, go before us this Lord's Day, continue to work in our hearts that we might become more holy yours.